Amen indeed, right? <laughs> and we should be more excited to be here, right? Amen. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Ah, Lord God, what an awesome thing it is to be in your presence this morning. Lord, to be here in your house, to be worshiping you, <sighs> worthy is the lamb that was slain. Lord, uh, as we just got done singing praises to you, Lord, because you paid it all. You washed our sin white as snow, Lord, and you alone are worthy of our worship and praise. And Lord, as we continue our service here today, our worship of you, Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your truth. We want to hear you speaking into us. And Lord, we want people to see you through us. Lord, to receive the same gift that we have received, and that is salvation because of what you did, what you did perfectly. So, Lord, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive your word here this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have his word, and hope you do, just go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats there in front of you, or feel free to make a friend and scooch over and uh, peek on with your neighbor. You know, because we want you to see God's word. We want you to see what we're talking about every day, you know, every Sunday as we come to hear from our God and to worship him. Because if nothing else you take away, you take away this truth. So open up a Bible and follow along. But as you're turning, just to catch us up, last week Pastor Ken talked about the blood of Christ and how blood has always been a requirement for the atoning of sin. The lifeblood of something had to be poured out so that we, or the person who had done something wrong, could receive forgiveness. And if you recall, if you've been with us over the past several weeks, we've talked about how Christ is superior to, well, everything. That Christ is superior to the angels. That Christ is superior to Moses, to Melchizedek. And we talked about Christ being superior to the old covenant. And we've taken a lot of time to talk about how we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus And if we don't, the dangers and the tendencies we have to drift away. And we also spent some time talking about our need to be united in Christ. To be united in Christ first individually and then as a faith family as we seek to allow his spirit to move in us moment by moment and allow him to work in us and through us so that people may see him in us for his glory and his glory alone. Amen. So with that being said, follow along in God's word as I read Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to go verses 1 through 18 today. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. 
For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then he said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where there have been, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. This is God's word. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. And that truth is your son. Your son is truth and your son is eternal life and lord we thank you to be able to hear this truth may it pierce our hearts to seek after you lord may today you be glorified as in all days in christ's name we pray amen so as we've discussed the superiority of christ to everything else that I said, it shouldn't really come as a surprise to find out that Christ is superior to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Verse 1 of what we just read in uh, chapter 10 says that the law was a pale reflection of good things to come. It's a shadow. And the author of Hebrews is actually tying back to something that we talked about a little bit ago. Matter of fact, flip back one chapter, chapter 9 of Hebrews... And we're going to just read verse 11 here. But when Christ came 
as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of creation. You see, the Greek here is understood to be the good things that have come, as in present tense. It's not talking about some future tense thing, not talking about some good things that will come. It's talking about the good things that have come. And this makes perfect sense as we know that Christ is the good thing that has come and is being discussed here. And as the verses continue, it talks about being made perfect. And we know that Christ is the perfect completion of God's work of salvation. And as we've discussed previously, if the law and the sacrificial system that we've been learning about had been able to save perfectly, there would not have been a need for a new covenant, which should leave us with a question. Was the old covenant bad? You know, too often we look at the old covenant and the Old Testament as something bad. Too often we look at it as something irrelevant because now we're on this side of the cross. You know, that's something that happened back then. It's not relevant to us today because now, you know, we have salvation in Jesus. Or perhaps, you know, maybe you've heard people quick to point out all the death that occurs throughout the Old Testament. Not just of animals, as we've been talking about with the sacrificial system, but people as well. A lot of people died. Or maybe you've heard it said that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, but the God of a New Testament is a God of love. You know, none of these things are biblically accurate. And they really miss the point of what the Old Testament and the Old Covenant are doing. And just because the old covenant was not the means that God used for salvation for man does not mean it's a bad thing or an irrelevant thing. The old covenant allowed for a temporary stay of execution by God on mankind. And if you've been following along in the Bible reading plan we talk about each and every week, This is going to be kind of a review of those sacrifices. And we're going to talk about how the sacrifices of animals were only ever intended by God to be a temporary holding off of his wrath against sin. You know, the first evidence of the sacrificial system doesn't incur in numbers, which we're reading this week and next, doesn't occur in Leviticus. First example of sacrifice doesn't take place in the book of Exodus. As a matter of fact, the first sacrifice of an animal due to sin is found at the end of Genesis, chapter 3. Not the end of Genesis, the end of chapter 3. See, it's here that we learn of the fall of man from what God had intended, as God decided that maybe, just maybe, there was more to life than God. And maybe God didn't have man's best intentions at heart. Maybe man knew better than God. See, following the eating of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. 
because they had directly disobeyed him. He had told them, do not eat of this. You can eat of anything else in all of creation. You can eat freely of my garden, but you do not eat from this. And they did. So God cast them out. But before God did that, he made for them some clothes. Now, God didn't create Walmart for them to go shopping. (laughs) There was no Target at the time. God made clothes from the skins of an animal. A sacrifice of an animal had to be made for its skin to be usable for clothes. And this all happened because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Now, if this sacrifice had been a perfect sacrifice to atone for everything that was done, there wouldn't have been a reason to continue offering sacrifices of animals to God, would there? However, we do know that this was just a temporary abating of God's wrath because we go all the way to the first couple verses in Genesis chapter 4 before we see Abel bringing a sacrifice of the herd before God. He's offering the fat portions of an animal as a sacrifice to God. There are six verses Not chapters, not books of the Bible. There are six verses between the mention of sacrifice. And throughout Genesis, we read how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would sacrifice to God. They would take from among the animals and bring them and offer them a sacrifice to God. And if you've been following along, you know that perhaps the most well-known sacrifice story that occurs in the Bible actually occurs in Genesis chapter 22. It's here where we find Abraham taking his son Isaac to a mountain in Moriah. See, God had told him to sacrifice his son as a demonstration of his faith. So God takes Isaac, and he takes him up, and he's going to offer him as a sacrifice. But Instead of having to sacrifice his son, God provides a substitute. God provides a ram to take the place of Isaac as the sacrifice. And these concepts, the concept of a sacrifice made in faith and the concept of a substitutionary sacrifice is one that we're going to come back to in just a few minutes. But let's continue on in our little journey through the Bible In Exodus, we're introduced to Moses. And Moses was sent as an agent of God by God to bring God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And God worked mightily in Egypt, demonstrating his great power and supremacy over the false gods of Egypt and the tyranny of Pharaoh. And these displays of power culminated with a plague of death. See, God was going to kill the firstborn of every person and animal throughout Egypt to show Pharaoh who is superior to all. But before God puts his power on display, he gives a command to Moses and to the people of Israel. The people were to take a lamb 
And they were to sacrifice it. And after they had killed out the lamb, they were to pour out its lifeblood. And they were to take some of that lifeblood and they were to paint it on the door frames of their homes. And that evening, the angel of the Lord came and killed every firstborn of person and animal except for the people of Israel who had done what God had commanded them to do in faith. Now, this sacrifice was just a temporary Passover for the people of Israel. You see, while the people had been set free from slavery, they do all indeed die over the course of time. Matter of fact, if you've been in Sunday school and we've been talking about Leviticus, we've been talking about how time and time again, the people, even though they see God's might and power on display each and every moment of each and every day because he's right there in front of them, stumble. They take their eyes off and they drift away. And as the Jews began their exodus to the promised land, they continue to offer sacrifices And the Passover becomes an annual reminder of God overlooking the sin of Israel and exacting his wrath and judgment against those that are unfaithful to him. And when God allows the tabernacle to be built, the institution of the priesthood of Aaron and his sons, there are a lot of animals that get sacrificed. They do it to consecrate the tabernacle. They do it to consecrate the priest. Pastor Ken has shared with us how the priests would go in and they would come out just covered in blood. Those priestly robes that God gave instruction to Moses on how to make with ingrained stones and great value become butcher garments. Yet, None of these sacrifices pay the price perfectly. See, every time the tabernacle set up, animals had to be sacrificed. This brings us to the third book of the Bible. And no, we're not going to go through all 66. (laughs) But this brings us to Leviticus. See, Leviticus is the book that's dedicated to explaining the laws regarding sacrifice and the role of the priesthood among the people. These sacrifices were established so that depending on what you did wrong, you knew what to do to make up for it. Leviticus goes on and tells us about burnt offerings and how to bring your peace offering before the Lord. Last week, Pastor Ken mentioned the Day of Atonement, where the high priest would go and offer a sacrifice. He would offer a sacrifice for himself and for the people of Israel. See, Aaron would bring a bull in. And he would sacrifice it to atone for his sin and for the sin of his family because he can't go very well asking God to forgive everyone else while coming before God as a sinner. Then he would bring forward two goats. Now on one of the goats, its lifeblood was poured out. It was offered as a sacrifice for sin. But the other goat, the other goat, had the sins of the people transferred onto it. And then that goat was cast out from the people to serve as a scapegoat for what the people had done wrong. See, this transfer of sin was done through confession. 
Aaron took that goat and he placed his hands on it and he confessed the sins of the people onto the goat before casting it out. Now remember, the Day of Atonement, as Pastor Ken shared, happened every year. So this, neither paid the penalty perfectly, did it. The high priest, year after year, had to confess all of the sins of the people onto a goat. You know, I have to think that that takes some time. I don't know about your life, but to confess everything that I had done wrong over the past year, let alone roughly two and a half to three million people, I think would take some time, but he did. He put his hands on the goat and he confessed the sin. Then they sent it away, their scapegoat for sin, to avoid God's wrath and judgment. Leviticus, we also learn about various sin and guilt offerings. And depending on what role you played in the community depended, and what you did wrong, depended on what animal or how many animals you had to sacrifice for forgiveness. Let me give you an example. This actually comes out of Leviticus chapter 5. I'm not actually reading from it, but I'm just giving you how it plays out. So let's say one day, you know, you're back with the nation of Israel and you're out wandering in the Exodus and, you know, You're out walking around your field one day, and you see something weird under a bush. So you go and check it out. You're curious. And you bend down. You're trying to take a look, and you find one of your cows had been mauled to death by a lion. Pretty bad. But guess what? You then had to go and sacrifice a lamb to make atonement for your sin even though it wasn't an intentional action against the word of God. You see, the word of God prohibited the people from touching dead animals. So there was a sacrifice put in place to atone for that sin. You had to lay your hand on the head of your sacrifice, the lamb from your herd, and pour out its lifeblood, transferring your guilt onto the lamb through the pouring out of its blood so that you didn't receive God's judgment. Now, let's just hypothetically say the next week you're out for a walk. You're, you know, daydreaming. You're out walking and you trip. Well, you turn around, look, see what you tripped over, and you see one of your donkeys that just died of old age. And, you know, you obviously touched it. You tripped over the thing. Did the sacrifice you made last week cover what happened this week? No. You had to go and do it again. Why? Because the old covenant, as we see in verse 1 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, is but a shadow. See, the old covenant was insufficient to pay the penalty for sin perfectly. The goal of the Old Testament was to show people the futility of sacrifices and that they couldn't ever offer enough animals to make up for what they truly needed. And their true need was a relationship and a reliance on God in living out his will in their lives. See, never once did any of the sacrifices in the Old Testament fully satisfy that penalty. They only served to forgive for a temporary period of time. The Day of Atonement was an annual event, as we talked about. Passover repeated annually. 
And all of these things were temporary means of forgiveness. It was just a scapegoat. See, the old covenant is simply there to point to something better, to something perfect. And as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, we learn that God didn't even desire the offering of sacrifices and burnt offerings for our sins. Take a look again with me, verses 5 through 9. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance to the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. See, verses 5 through 9 that we just read finds the author of Hebrews quoting from the Old Testament, which is why we always say to understand the new, you have to understand the old. See, the author of Hebrews here is quoting from Psalm 40. And if you're not familiar, I'm going to tell you about Psalm 40 was written by a man that you've probably heard of named King David. And if you've been around or Sunday school, you know King David is called the man after God's own heart. Well, the guy after God's own heart made some pretty big mistakes in life. See, one day King David found himself in lust with a married woman named Bathsheba. And he ended up committing adultery with her. It's pretty bad. Well, it gets worse. You see, he then tried to trick her husband Uriah into having sex with her so that they could hide her pregnancy. When that didn't work out so well, David ordered his men to allow Uriah to be killed on the battlefield. David, the man after God's own committed adultery, lied, and murdered. And then we read these words here. You see, David knew that there was no sacrifice he could make to atone for what he did. He knew that there were no number of animals left on the planet to make up for what he had done. And these verses that we just read from David's conversation with God tells us that God doesn't even take pleasure in these sacrifices, let alone desire them. You see, God doesn't desire sacrifices that do not come from a sincere heart, and that's the problem with the Old Covenant. See, people had turned the sacrificial system into a ritual. They had broken it down to being just a punch card of knowing what animal to sacrifice for what they did wrong, 
God's desire is not for that. God's desire is for us to do his will with a sincere heart and not simply go through the motions. And that is where we find David on his knees begging a God who could have wiped him out of existence, knowing that there was not enough animals. There was nothing that he could do to make up for what he had done other than to throw himself on the ground and said, my God, my God, forgive me. That is all that was left to David. There were no sacrifices left. Yet, how many of us are simply going through the motions for the sake of religion instead of relationship? How many of us are trying to punch that card instead of falling before our God and saying, Lord, Lord, forgive me? How many of us are offering sacrifices up to try to appease God? Now, before you sit here and tell me, you know, I've never once killed a lamb on the altar to atone for my sin before God. I get that. Let me explain. You see, we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. We make sacrifices of a different type. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our abilities. We sacrifice our finances. But just like the people of Israel in the Old Testament and the Pharisees of the New Testament, we can do all of these things in the name of God without actually involving God in them at all. See, maybe you have found yourself doing a bunch of things that you hate because you think that by doing them, you're going to make God happy or you're going to earn God's favor. You know, maybe you've found yourself serving in a church ministry because you think by doing so, God's going to think better of you. Or maybe he'll forgive you of something because you're working for him. Maybe... You read your Bible every single day because, you know, we put it up on the screen every single week and the emails go out, you know, and it seems like a good thing on the outside, but you're actually only doing it because you know it's something you're supposed to be doing it. So instead of being something you want to do, it turns into something that you loathe to do each and every day. And instead of finding joy in it, instead of finding joy in getting to know the God who loves you, the God who created you, the God who wants to live through you for his glory, you come before his word and don't even want to be there. Maybe you go out evangelizing. You go out each and every single day. And you are happy to tell people about the dangers of hell. You're happy to tell them what can happen to them if they don't turn to Jesus. And to be honest with you, you're more than happy to condemn them there because they aren't listening to you. You know, because you're out there trying to do it through trying to get some sense of God's favor because you are the one saving people instead of loving them, sharing God's word, relying on God to save them, and then coming alongside them and walking with them in their faith. Maybe you find yourself doing a bunch of religious things. But every time you do, you take an opportunity to take a photo of it. 
and posted on social media so that everyone around the world knows what a great Christian you are. You see, the problem with all these things isn't what you're doing. The problem with all these things is the heart. It's the same issue that's faced every single person in this book. It's the same issue that faces every single person since this book has been written. It's the same issue that faces every single person in this room and every single person out there. It's a heart issue. It's a why issue, really. We need to be asking ourselves why we are doing something. We need to know if it is coming from the Lord or if it's something that we are trying to do to earn false hope from our Lord. But there's good news. And we sing about it earlier. You know, we have a high priest. And we have a God that is in the heart transformation business. Verse 10 tells us that we have been sanctified through the offering of of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And this Greek word here for sanctified is hagiazo. And it literally means to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be holy. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that we have been set apart by God to be used by God for God For God's glory, not our own. There's another interesting thing about this word hagiazo. Just to nerd out for a moment. Yeah, I know. I know, take offense at that, it's okay. It's a perfect participle, finite verb in the Greek. What? Okay, let me explain. Yeah, because I know that didn't make any difference to you all, did it? It means it's the strongest form, form of a verb. And it also speaks to permanency. And that is good news. Sanctified in permanency. See, our salvation is continuing and permanent. And it's only continuing and permanent because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not because of any of these things that you think that you're doing to earn God's favor. No, it is through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus doesn't have to go into a tabernacle anymore to offer sacrifices for sin. Because he is the tabernacle. Jesus doesn't have to take his sacrifice to a priest because Jesus is the high priest. And Jesus doesn't have to bring sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to atone for the sins that you have committed, are committing, and will commit because his sacrifice was the perfect and final sacrifice for all. See, Jesus did the will of the Father Not by coming to continually offer sacrifices, but to be the sacrifice. And that is why he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus no longer has to offer sacrifices like the priests of old. His work is complete. 
His final and perfect sacrifice on the cross is why we can have forgiveness of sin and no longer have to offer sacrifices on an altar. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our need to continue to do good works, to try to earn God's favor is done. Through his spirit being in us, we have God's laws written in our minds and on our hearts. And we who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ can rest in him who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who promises to remember our sin no more. Yes, thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for what you did perfectly. Thank you that you are our high priest and that you came to be the sacrifice, not to continually have to offer sacrifices, not for us to continually have to work, but to rest in what you completed perfectly. Lord, for those of us who are struggling to still try to earn your favor, for those of us thinking that we can do something to please you, Lord, Lord, speak mightily. Lord, it is through faith that we are saved. And we place our faith in you. And by doing that, we rest in what you have done. We have been crucified with you are dead to our old selves, alive in you. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you have done and what you will do in each and every one of our lives. For your glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You know, maybe there's some here today some here today who are trying to still work to earn God's favor. If you've never experienced resting in Jesus Christ, placing your faith in Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you, come. Come up and let's talk about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've been coming here for a little bit and you've been hearing God's word, you've been worshiping God, you know, I'd invite you to come and join us. Join us on the mission to make disciples more better disciples. You know, and if you're ready to take the plunge, literally, to say, I am ready to be crucified to my sins, to give them over to Jesus Christ, and to show that through baptism, come, I'd love to talk to you about that as well. Right now, let's rise and just worship God for who he is.